0: Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento, and man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it, so get ready to receive from God today. You ready? We're going to jump in. I'm so excited for the word, and I'm so, I'm so thrilled that we're back in Mark leading up to Easter because Mark is just the, the gospel on steroids. Um, We haven't talked about Mark. Um, I mean, I know Lauren spoke on it last week, but after a few series that we've done, we've almost forgotten about what Mark represents, and it's really the kingdom of God is at hand. And you know what that means. That means that his kingdom is being built right now. And so 41 times in Mark, does he use the word immediately? because we're not even going to stop on details. We're not going to camp on things that don't matter. We're not going to camp on peripherals. We're going to focus on what matters, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is now church. We've got to have an urgency to build his kingdom and share the gospel with all the world, and so I'm jumping in right now immediately, and if you weren't here last week, make sure that you listen to, actually, Lauren's last message here. Actually, his last message as a pastor at Project Church, I'm sure he'll be back to visit. But um, he talked about, essentially, he talked about the the Last Supper and what happens there right before Jesus is Betrayed. The Last Supper and then the Garden of Gethsemane and then prayer and Jesus being a man of passion and how he how he stewarded the pain that he was going through. And now he's going to be betrayed. And that's where we pick us pick up here. Mark 14, 43 through 52. Jesus is about to be betrayed. stood by, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is equipping us. It's lighting our way. It's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. I pray that you would illuminate your word to us, that you wouldn't um, allow people to hear me, but they would hear your words. They would hear your words, your scripture, and how it's wanting to change us from the inside out. God, I pray that it would propel us to the next step that we must take in our life to honor you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word in your precious name. Amen. 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 So here we are in Mark. Jesus is about to be portrayed. He's been in the garden with his disciples praying because he knew that this moment was going to come. And, you know, there's moments where I read through these scriptures and we breeze through them because we've seen all the picture books. We've seen all the movies and much of it is depicted the way the the artist wants to depict it. And much of it's depicted in a way that's actually simpler. It's easier to draw a couple Roman soldiers with Judas, even though there were hundreds of soldiers with Judas. And it's easy to depict a small area, but and it's like this small exchange between Jesus getting arrested, no big deal. But this is probably one of the most dramatic scenes when you really jump into Scripture. And there's so much... Happening between Judas and Jesus and our picture books picture books don't do it justice in John eighteen three it says that Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests, he brought all these people to the gar- to the garden of Gethsemane, and there we see not a Couple soldiers, we see a band of soldiers, some say that there were actually close to six hundred people there because a Roman legion is at full strength, six thousand, so only a tenth of this Roman legion came, and they're the chief priests they're these they are these Roman soldiers these are the, these are the important army and so we understand that that the rulers were really scared of what Jesus was going to do, what he was going to be revolutionizing. They saw him as just this revolutionary that needed to be apprehended. And Judas, the one who had walked with Jesus, the one who had performed miracles, the one who had spent so much time with him and so much time with his disciples, he was so close, yet he was so far from Jesus. This is the one who betrayed jesus so much drama and even the way he comes and talks to jesus and says rabbi and kissed him the kiss of death that phrase is coined because of what judas does here the kiss of death is just saying that you have destruction right around the corner major betrayal so much drama and when I read the scripture, we sometimes focus on the fact that Jesus was betrayed. And we're like, oh, think of all those times in our lives we've been betrayed. And we start getting kind of angry. And we're like, oh, I'm just like Jesus. I've been, I've been betrayed. I, I need to handle it the way Jesus handled it, right? How many people have ever been betrayed? This is what preachers do. We say, okay, see, now handle it the way Jesus did, right? (laughs) And how quickly in a dramatic story do we become the central piece of the story? Jesus is the central piece of the story. And oftentimes we like to put ourselves where Jesus is. And interestingly enough, this is how drama happens in our lives. When we become the protagonists in our story, not only does drama ensue, but it reveals our trauma, I believe. Follow me on this. Um, when I think about this story and when I even thought about, like, all the betrayals in my life and how I can speak to it and how I can encourage you in your betrayals, I realized that if I had headed that direction, I would be revealing an area of trauma because I was at one point a victim, to betrayal. And oftentimes, when we see trauma happen in our lives, drama ensues. When we see that we're a victim, in order to handle our hurt in victimhood, we sometimes become either a persecutor or a rescuer. I want you to see something that a lot of therapists use when they are dealing with individuals who have experienced trauma, it's called the trauma triangle. And they're gonna put it up on the screen. But it's a cycle of trauma that happens in our lives where we rotate different roles. Sometimes we're the victim and when we don't feel like the victim anymore and we don't feel like dealing with the trauma in our lives, we become the rescuer. And then when we're no longer the rescuer, sometimes we become the persecutor. The victim is overwhelmed by their own vulnerability and doesn't sometimes take responsibility for their own situation careful, there's going to be some triggers in here. (laughs) And when we don't want to deal with the vulnerability or the pain of our vulnerability, we sometimes become the rescuer. And the rescuer wants to save people and sees him or herself as vulnerable, works hard, offers help that's sometimes unasked for. And if we're not the rescuer, sometimes we're the persecutor. When When we're unaware of Our own power, and therefore discounting it, power is used in a negative and often destructive way. Yikes. Sometimes when we become the hero of our story and when we read scripture through the filter of us being the protagonist, we reveal the trauma in our lives that must be healed. And I just want to encourage you today that this story isn't about you. This story is about Jesus. I was so excited to preach this message because I didn't have to like talk about all these illustrations in my life where I was betrayed and blah, blah, blah and be vulnerable. It's not about my vulnerability. It's not about the speaker's vulnerability on Sunday mornings. It's about what Jesus does. Jesus is always the hero of the story. And when he's not the hero, I want to encourage you, maybe we need to be healed. Trying to be the hero may reveal our need to be healed. Some of us need to stop being the hero and just get healed. So who are you in this story? I looked at this story, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I see the persecutor, the rescuer, and the victim in three different people of this message. Who are you in this story? Who are you in the drama that you're experiencing right now? we're all going through some kind of drama. And, you know, there's a phrase that sometimes Caleb will be like, oh, man, you know, some people just love drama. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Some people just love drama. And you know what? I don't think that people love drama. I think that we get so compelled by the drama and sucked in because something needs to heal the wound in us. So it's the trauma that has hurt us that brings us to the drama almost unwillingly. But something needs to make us feel better, and the drama makes us feel better. But today, I want to ask you, who are you in this story? You are not the betrayed. We need to see ourselves the way the gospel actually places us. The one in need of a healer. The one in need of a rescuer, the one in need of not a prosecutor, not a persecutor, but the one who needs to be rescued. Sometimes when we become the center of the story, instead of allowing Jesus to be the rescuer, we try to be the rescuer. And instead of seeing Jesus as a victim, we're like, oh, wait, I'm the victim in that. And instead of seeing the Romans as the persecutors that they are, we become the persecutors and we get mad at the persecutors. This drama triangle has brought me so much understanding of my sinful human nature. None of us is Jesus in this story. Who are you in the story? Let's look at the three people. In verse 43, we see G- Judas. In verse 47, we see Peter. He's unnamed in, in Mark because we're just speeding through, right, the gospel on steroids. And number three, we see man. Somebody say, man. <laughs> so, who are you in the story? I believe that when we read, approach the story with humility, it'll bring us clarity of who we are and who he is. We're putting Jesus back on the throne. Amen? Well, let's put him back. So, who are you in the story? Number one, Judas. Are you Judas? Judas is the obvious sinner, right? Everybody knows they don't want to be Judas to be judas but guess what a lot of us are judas we're the obvious sinners so many people and so many commentators commentators and teachers and preachers will talk about his greed and how much he just wanted money but it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that because this man walked with jesus he performed miracles was it just that he was greedy or so there's something deeper happening there he set up this whole betrayal. Do you know how much work it took for him to go to the high priest, the chief of priests, the rulers of the army, the, the military leads, and bring about 600 of them strong into the garden to apprehend Jesus? Think of how much it took for him to do that, how much premeditation there was. And then when he's there in the garden, he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. And even in the face of betraying Jesus, he acts like he's his boy, Jesus, rabbi, rabbi. And it's almost like saying that name in in the original language. It's like saying rabbi 15 times. It's like sometimes when I see people that I really love, I'm like, babe, oh, or my kids, Canaan, 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 come here, love you. This is what Judas is saying. It's a deeply personal, affectionate greeting that Judas gives Jesus. Only to have Jesus apprehended. He walks so close to Jesus, yet he was so far away. You know, in other stories where Judas is described, he's actually very critical. He's a persecutor. He's very critical because do you remember the story in John 12 where the Mary is washing Jesus' feet with her hair and a very expensive um, oil, nard? And Judas says, why is she using all of that, that good perfume on his feet? He, she poured it out. That is not a, that is not a good financial responsible decision. I mean, you guys may be even thinking here, surely not in this room, surely not those of you watching online, but, like, really, we're going to pay six months of their, you know, uh, of their salaries so that they can leave us? <laughs> and when we have these kinds of questions, we're like, oh, seriously, we're going to give $60,000 away when we could be, like fixing this building up where we could be like doing ad campaigns to bring more people to you know we start asking all these questions you know i believe that there are some people who are like yeah we're we're going to do all this like church planting stuff why don't we give it to the poor and home and the homeless people here in sacramento why don't we use the money there and we're so quick to do humanitarian work but when it comes to kingdom work we we're like what i don't understand we become critical especially of finances And we become Judas's. Man. It's so interesting to me that the man who betrayed Jesus was so critical, questioned finances, and yet performed miracles with Jesus. Do you see the betrayal? But we have to put ourselves on that side of the story. There have been times that we've been Judas. There are times that we've been critical. There are times that we've questioned our pastors, our staff, our our congregation members, our community group leaders. There's times that we've just questioned, and I wonder if God's challenging us to have a little faith. You know, if you could walk that close to Jesus, I wonder if it's greed that is motivating you or if it's truly just unbelief. I wonder if it's just unbelief. That he just did not have faith that this man who did all the things that he did in front of his very own eyes was really the son of God, was really the one who could save him from himself. I wonder what was actually happening in Judas's heart. He was so blinded. He was so blinded by the way he thought things should be done. That he didn't believe that the miracle worker was truly a miracle worker, was truly the savior of this world. He did not have faith. And you know, this really makes me want to say, goodness gracious, if you're walking that close to Jesus, if you're around other believers all the time, you could be just as far away as Judas and spend an eternity with Judas. I don't want to be where Judas is. This should bring us to a point of, true introspection true introspection and on that note (laughs) let's look at peter peter he's not the so obvious sinner as judas was peter was probably more of the self-righteous sinner maybe the persecutor maybe the rescuer Think about it. Judas in John 18, the same story that's told in Mark, but with a little bit more detail, it says this. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus, which indicates that Simon very well knew who this man was. He was part of the high priest, and he had seen him in the temple. So he was not going to... Take it easy on his friend that he had seen in the temple week after week. He was not going for his ear. They say, a lot of the commentators say that he was probably, Malchus was probably dodging Simon Peter, and he Peter missed him and got his ear. And so we see that Peter was going for the gusto. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You know, Matthew Henry, he's a commentator also, he said this, it's easier, it's easier to fight for Jesus than to die for him. And I think that should challenge us, church. We are really good at getting in fights with the world. We are really good at getting fights with one another. We are really good at being the one who's going to do something in Jesus' name, but to sacrifice something in Jesus' name, I don't know. To live differently than the world? I don't know. It's easier to say that this is what I stand for. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. But when God asks us to give extra, when God asks us to look different, when God asks us to be faithful in a certain area, sometimes we're saying, but no, I'm doing a lot for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm blowing up people's Facebook feeds. I'm telling them what's up on my Insta stories. It's easier to fight for Christ than to die for him. You know, there's actually a great similarity between Judas and Peter. They're both wanting to bring about a kingdom with their control. Listen, the, uh, the opposite of following Jesus is doing things your way. <laughs> and when I look at Judas, you see that he is he's bringing about clubs and swords which represent The world's way, the world's kingdom, the world's kingdom is taking on the world with fighting and with weapons of this world and doing things my way and being on the top and having power over those under them, right? And what does he do? He tries to get to the top because he wants to have the most funds. He's stealing from the church. He's stealing from the offerings that's given as Jesus is traveling. We see this earlier in earlier chapters. He's stealing, and so he's wanting more funds. He's wanting more power. He's already gotten more power by controlling the Roman army to come apprehend Jesus. And he also finds control through betrayal. He's able to control the situation. And when you really look, about, look at that, he's bringing about an earthly kingdom that puts him at top, It puts him on the top. And then you look at Peter. And still, I don't believe what he was fighting for was the kingdom. What he was fighting for was self-protection from losing his savior. What he was fighting for was control over over a situation that he had no control over. What he was fighting for was his self. Because he's like, well, where does this leave me if my Savior's gone? What he's fighting for is what he wants through his love. Come on, somebody needs to hear this. Sometimes we love people in our own strength so that we can get our results. But sometimes we need to just relinquish control and allow God to be God and do what only he can do. They're the same, they're the same, Judas and Peter. They're both sinners. They're both sinners. And then the third person, I'm still asking you, who are you in the story? Are you Judas? Are you Peter? Or are you the man? (laughs) Somebody say man. It's interesting that in this scripture, 51 and 52, after everybody leaves Jesus, he's apprehended, he's taken away, all the disciples flee, they're away from him, but then you see verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Sometimes you read these scriptures and you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? <laughs> that was really what I had to question, so I dug into it a little bit deeper, and I'm so glad I did because it just showed me that there's another sinner just a sinner he's a sinner still but the difference between him and judas him and peter is that he wanted to do everything and anything to be near to jesus it says in some commentaries that he actually may have been mark himself And without stopping to get dressed, which is why he was naked, and this is happening in the wee hours of the morning, right? And he hears that Jesus is apprehended. He doesn't even get dressed to go see what's happening to his Savior. It says that he perhaps, without stopping to dress, rushed to Gethsemane to warn Jesus, maybe. But once he got there, found that jesus was already apprehended and when his captors saw him he fled but you know what i love about this sinner he did everything he could to be near to jesus he wanted to be part of the solution but his solution wasn't bringing about a club and a sword His solution was bringing himself, unclothed even, unprepared, but ready to be with a Savior. We can learn a lot about this sinner. We can learn a lot about man. And what I love the most about the fact that he is unnamed, and we're not actually sure if it's Mark, is that that's exactly the kingdom that God is building. He's building a kingdom that is not built on the name of, of our name here on earth, It's a pot built on the kingdom of one name and one name only, and that's the name of Jesus. Judas has a name. Peter has a name. But man, the one who came in naked and without weapon and without any tool and without any defense, he wasn't a victim. He wasn't a persecutor. He wasn't a rescuer. He was just himself, naked and bare, just wanting to be near the Savior. That is the sinner that we need to be. That's the sinner that God wants us to be. And he is unnamed. I thank God that the scripture left him unnamed. Because it's not about Caleb and Chrissy who planted Project Church. It's not about Lauren and Veronica who were planting another church in Tampa. It's not about Project Church in Sacramento. It's about a group of people who are willing and able and so desperate to be in the presence of god not perfect not trying to not trying to get dressed before we get before our savior no we just rush to be with him we just rush to be in his presence we're just desperate for him and we know that nothing we can bring can actually help the situation but he can help us do you see that he was naked and you know from the very beginning of time nakedness meant shame and he he was full of shame he put himself in a place to be shamed and we are all walking around with our shame and the kingdom of god is built on people who recognize that the only person who can wash that shame away wash that sin away is jesus and only his presence can help us nothing that we can do to be prepared to be in his presence can get us saved can wash away that shame it's just the power of the name of jesus isaiah 64 6 it actually was prophesied man we all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are but filthy rags. We are but the linen cloth that man had. But he just was desperate to be with Jesus. Because the only solution, the only answer to his need and his desperation was Jesus, was his presence. We are but filthy rags. You know what? The reason why I love this story is that even though everything looked like it was out of control, Jesus was getting arrested, Judas was betraying him, Roman soldiers who were ultimately going to kill him were on the scene in numbers. Jesus looked like the underdog, but guess what? Jesus was in control the whole time. He was in complete control the whole time. It says that he told He told peter this is what i'm supposed to do this is the cup that i'm supposed to take thank you for trying but thanks but no thanks oh then jesus knowing all that this would happen to him came forward and said to them, whom do you seek they answered him jesus of nazareth jesus says that i am he He wasn't scared. He wasn't the underdog. He said, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. We breeze over that. This is John. This is in John, giving a little bit more detail about Mark. And it says, they drew back and fell to the ground. You know what he said? He said, I am I am. I am the Lord. When you ever, whenever you see the, the word Lord in all caps, it's, when it's the same word as I am. And Jesus says, I am. And can you imagine 600 men falling to the ground? We don't see this. We don't see this in videos or in picture books. But the men, the, the army, they fell to the ground at the mere mention of his name. Proverbs 18 10 uses the same word. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. You know what man was looking for? He was looking for safety in the presence of his Savior. He was looking for safety, and it didn't take anything that he could do. It was nothing that he could criticize, or it was nothing that he could re- rescue. It wasn't him being a victim. It was just saying that I need Jesus and I need his safety. And some of us need to get to the place of being so desperate for God. We need to stop making ourselves the protagonist of our own story. He is writing our story and he's saying, I want to be the center of the story. It's not about what we're going to become. It's not about our purpose. It's not about the three steps to making us the best Christian or the best follower of Christ. 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 It's not us becoming this great follower. It's about Jesus changing us from the inside out. Because only the name of Jesus can change us. Only the name of Jesus can wash away the guilt, the sin, the shame. It is Jesus. And this is the gospel message. This is the gospel message that some of us need to hear today and need to be reminded of. Because the truth of the matter is that we have been hurt. We have been victimized. We do need a rescuer. There are prosecutors and persecutors all around us. We do need healing. We do have drama in our life because of the trauma that we have all faced on so many degrees. And Jesus is saying, I am. I am. And maybe the enemies of Jesus will fall to the ground But I believe that when we hear the name of the Lord, who is our strong tower, we run to him and we are safe. When we hear the name of the Lord, then we fall to our knees. Because we say, I need you. There's none like you. There's nothing I can do in our situation. There's no control that I have any longer. I'm giving it to you and only you. I have been Judas. I have been Peter. But God, help me be just man. Come on, why don't you bow your heads in this place? I believe that God's doing his thing. He's doing his thing right now in this room. He's revealing to us the areas that we've been the victim. He's revealing to us the areas that we've been the prosecutor. He's revealing to us the areas that we have been the one to try to rescue in our own strength, the one who's trying to take control. But he's saying no longer are you going to build your kingdom even with the title of Christian. The kingdom of God is built on those who are humble and allows the clarity in your humility to show you who he is and who you are. And you are one with filthy rags in need of a savior. And thank God we have a savior who is gracious, who's not looking down on us, but is saying, I want to bring you up with me. This isn't a message to say, to heap more guilt or shame on us. This is a message that is less about us and more about what he can do in our lives. So Jesus, right now, we look into our hearts, we look into our minds, and we say, what areas have we needed you that we've left you out of? What areas and what dramas do you need to take control of? What traumas have I experienced that you need to heal? God we want to be those who bring the kingdom to earth that is what our call is that is what the command is and God we know that we cannot change without your presence so spirit Holy Spirit in your presence save me change me transform me from the inside out so if I've been as i've been speaking this message if that's you in this room who are who's saying i need a savior i'm in desperate need of him i just need to be in his presence i need to be changed by him i need to be healed by him i need to be saved (laughs) like well what does that mean it means having a relationship with jesus being near to him so that he can fill you with faith with hope with love with understanding if that's you in this room and you want to give your life to jesus i'm going to count to three and when I count to three, you can raise your hand. And that's just you saying, I want, I want him as my Lord and Savior. One, two, three. That's you in this room. I see those hands. I see that hand. I see that hand. See that hand. Yeah. See that hand. Yeah. Come on, everybody in this room, would you pray with me? Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me to church today. Thank you for speaking to me and showing me that you're the only one I need. I accept you in my life. I believe that you love me, you died for me, and you want to help me be all that you created me to be. I confess my need of you, wash me clean, give me a new start, and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. I love you, Jesus. I give you my life. You are now the Lord of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, why don't we stand in this place? Yeah, why don't we give a hand clap for those who made the most important decision you could ever make in your life. Yeah, why don't we sing this song? And as they, we sing this song, if some prayer partners can make their way up front, we want to pray with you on this decision that you made. I promise you it's the most important decision you can make. And when you pray with somebody to solidify that decision, it makes it that much more deep and ingrained in us. So let's sing the song and praise God for what he did today. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the Waterfront Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give invest let's see all that God can do through us